Rich and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy holidays, everybody. Welcome back to Arizona Sports Saturday. Steve Zinsmeister, Mitch Vareldis with you. Just uh, spending our Christmas Eve watching some football. There's plenty of NFL action going on today. But we have talked quite a bit about the Phoenix Suns. They've been on a bit of a downturn. Four and eight in their last 12. Uh, We've talked about the adversity that they've faced with Devin Booker missing some time. DeAndre Ayton has missed some time. Chris Mm -hmm. Paul missed some time. Cam Johnson is still out. Jay Crowder is nowhere to be found. Perhaps that's where we start with the Jay Crowder situation. Sure. He's been away from the team for, well, the whole season. Uh, basically, they've been trying to work on a trade scenario. We've heard rumors of a couple different scenarios. Remind me, uh, we've heard about a bunch of different things on the East Coast. Well, so, so here's the most recent one, and this is why it's getting reignited again. And look, in all honesty, the Crowder stuff is going to remain uh, lit, so to speak, until he actually gets traded. So we'll probably get a new report every week at this rate. The latest one comes from Mark Stein, longtime NBA writer, insider. He's very well connected with the league. I don't know if you would agree or not, but I would. He had this in his latest uh, Substack article the other day. And I'll just fly through this as quickly as I can. In, refer- in reference to Crowder, says that there's three Eastern Conference teams between Milwaukee, Miami, and Atlanta who are still re- regarded as the prime destinations for Crowder. Okay. Here's essentially what the report is. Yet, league sources say that the Washington Wizards recently pursued Crowder with a deal structure believed to feature Rui Hachimura that the Suns rebuffed. Phoenix is said to be holding out for a certifiable starter in a Crowder deal, which I agree with 100%. You're not giving up a guy who was your starter last year for scraps. That's that's bull. It's not it's not like you weren't going to give Crowder the opportunities to play. It's Crowder throwing a hissy fit, quite frankly. And he wants to be out. And I feel like the Suns have just as much leverage as Crowder does. Like Crowder wants out, and the Suns say, Okay, we'll do just fine without you. And they're doing okay, albeit in a bit of a funk right now. But I can't imagine that Jay Crowder has the leverage here to just force his way out. The Suns have entire control of this deal, of this trade. And I understand if teams want to shortchange the Suns in this manner, because this is Crowder's final year, and he hasn't played all year. But I respect the Suns and this report in saying that they're holding out for a certifiable starter. Yeah, That's and what the they Suns, should deserve. The Suns have wanted a power forward uh, for quite some time, which is kind of the position that Jay Crowder was playing when he was at his best here. I do think that it becomes increasingly difficult when you talk about the longer it takes to trade Jay Crowder, the less value he carries. I don't know what his contract situation is, if he's only signed through the end of the year or if it's multiple years. I, I can't remember. Um, but every day that goes by, every game that play, he doesn't play in, he becomes less valuable to the team that you're trading him to. So, I mean, if you had traded him in the offseason, he would have been worth more. Right. He might have been able to get equal value. I think at this point, you're you're not trading for equal value. I don't think you can get that. Well, unless you get an equivalent deal. Unless you get, say... Who's willing to do that at this point? Well, so, all right, let's use the team that's involved in this recent rumor, the Wizards. The name that Gambo, and Gambo's been shooting down a ton of names. Gambo's been shooting down a ton of reports. Okay. He has not shot down the idea of Kyle Kuzma, who is on the final year of his deal. Pretty good player. Has apparently, reportedly, not shown interest in returning to Washington after the season's end. 
And frankly, if you're Washington, don't you get like pick compensation as a result of somebody signing elsewhere for big money? Is that that how that works? I forget how the CBA works in the NBA, but if it works anything like it does in baseball, like you would benefit from that. Well, if you trade the guy away, I don't think you're getting anything in return. I mean, you're getting whatever you get in the trade. Right. So it could be. Forgive my lack of knowledge. Let's say it's Jay Crowder and a pick, right? Like, if it's a first-round pick, which we all know that the— The Suns aren't using anyway. The Suns uh, traditionally do, just kind of lean away from the draft as much as they can anyway. Uh, and if they're going to be in the top four in the West, which I think they probably will be, then that pick is probably not as good anyway. I, Kyle Kuzma, yeah, I'd be down for that. I think it'd be a pretty decent fit in terms of the basketball play. Uh, he certainly fills a need that they have. I don't like the idea of Rui Hachimura anyway, so no. them shooting no. him down, I don't really mind. I was at the Wizards game the other night uh, when they were here in town against the Suns. First of all, huge disappointment in that game, by the way. Seriously. We could talk about that all day long. But uh, Rui, if I remember right, did not play in that game. He's coming off of an injury, he was available, but he didn't play. I think he had street clothes on, that, if I remember right. But, yeah. um, but Kuzma played pretty well. So, yeah, I totally see where you're coming with, for that one. I wouldn't have gone for Rui. I don't think that that's the best basketball fit either. He may still have some potential and some upside, but I think he'd rather have Kuzma, even if he is an expiring contract, which mm-hmm. might be something that they're looking for, by the way. Because the other factor here is, with the Jay Crowder situation and with trading picks, is you had an up-in-the-air ownership situation. Mm-hmm. At least until recently. So We're still waiting on that to be approved, by the way. Oh, yeah. yeah, Which yeah, is yeah. kind of annoying. Matt Ishbia, new owner, is going to be coming in. Supposedly, he and his brother are putting in about $2.5 billion to buy they're 60% getting, of the stock. They're sun. getting a 60% stake in what is valued at a $4 billion franchise. But my point is, and, and this goes for any team that is going through an ownership change, uh, take, for instance, like the L.A. Angels, where they didn't want to move on from Otani, or they don't, you know, because... They don't want to do anything that puts the sale in jeopardy. Yeah. Are we going to trade away our draft picks for the future? Does that appeal less to a potential owner? Well, I want to make sure I have my picks around. Yeah. I want to make sure that I have my franchise cornerstones around. So you don't make major moves before an ownership change. Now that you have the confidence of Matt Ishbia coming in, league uh, approval pending, that brings some clarity, hopefully. He can sit down with basketball ops with James Jones and say, okay, uh, we have the the capital to go and spend a little bit if you want to bring somebody in with a bigger contract. Uh, you want to bring in an expiring deal? Cool, we can do that because we might make a run at XYZ players next offseason. Or he might come in and he might say, you know what, I don't want to spend right away. Uh, let's see where we're at in the offseason. Let's, let's fade to black on Jay Crowder. I can't imagine a scenario where he sticks around past the trade deadline, but it's possible. I'd be annoyed. I would be too. Because then you're not getting just, better. Then you're just going to pay a dude $10 million to sit on his butt. Yeah. Like, what what does that accomplish for you? Especially if you're trying to win right now. You've designed this team to win right now, in my opinion. I don't think that you have a 38-year-old on your roster if you aren't trying to win right now. The thing is, the rest of the league realizes your situation. They realize that the pressure is on the Suns. They don't have the leverage in this at all, I don't think. Because the rest of the league knows Jay Crowder ain't playing for the Suns. But I feel like if they had no leverage, they would have caved to whatever they could get right now instead of waiting this out as long as they could. I think they're still trying to find... I I think the ownership thing is a big part of why they've waited. Uh, I don't think it's the only reason, certainly. I mean, you probably haven't found the right deal yet. If they had, they might have pulled the trigger before an ownership change. It's not the biggest trade in the world. 
Um, but I do think that once we get closer and closer to that trade deadline in, what is it, February? Yeah. The closer you get, the more other teams around the league realize the situation that you're in. And they're going to look at the Suns and say, your back is against the wall here. We're not the ones that have to make a deal. You're the ones that have to make a deal. Or else you get past that deadline and Crowder's still around. You can't move the guy. Right. I don't think they have the leverage here, which is why I expect a deal to get done in the next month or so. But will it be an equal trade? I don't know that you're going to get equal trade. Look, in general, it's a less than ideal scenario. And if you're going to wait this out and if you're hoping to get the best offer that you can get, you might as well wait until Cam Johnson comes back. Because then you can re-solidify your starting lineup. I assume at that point, Devin Booker will be back to full health. And you'll have Cam Johnson. Mikhail Bridges can hopefully get out of whatever shooting funk he's in where he just can't hit 10 points anymore to save his life. And then maybe it'll help reinvigorate Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. Just having your full complement of guys does wonders for your team. I mean, think about opening night. The way that everything was... Not so great, and then all of a sudden the Suns looked like the Suns where they had that big fourth quarter comeback, and it was who? Damian Lee? What? Who's this guy? James Jones working his offseason magic again? They don't have that right now. When they get that back, I think it'll be more clear as to what they can afford to take back an A.J. Crowder trade. So that's probably another reason as to why they're not doing anything about it right now. I think teams were tepid before because they're like, this is a really good team. We're not going to help them out. And now we're at a point where the Suns are struggling. The Suns aren't doing well. And everybody thinks, oh, the Suns are going to cave because they need somebody to help their team right now. James Jones doesn't operate that way. James Jones knows exactly what he's looking for, and he's going to do his best to get every last little drop out of it. Yeah, and the hard part about making a deal like this is the fact that the player that you want in return, ideally, is comparable to Jay Crowder. (laughs) You're looking to trade Jay Crowder. For somebody Jay like Jay Crowder. Yeah. And that's hard because what team around the league wants to move off of their maybe more established or more uh, more comfortable player for your player who has refused to play for you for the last three months? And how do they view Jay Crowder? Do, do other teams look at Jay Crowder and say, well, why is this, this playoff experienced NBA champion basketball player, why does he not want to play right now for one of the best cultured teams in the in the league? That's a big question mark. Coming up next, there's three weeks left. There's three games left. What do we expect at this point? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Vareldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Not here. It's so delightful. It is rather delightful. Mitch Vareldis, Steve Zinsmeister, and let it snow. Who is this? Is this Bing? Who is this? This is me. Dean Martin. Dean. Okay. It's Steve Zinmeister. Yeah, featuring Steve. And Trevor Henry behind the glass. It's definitely hour not t- snowing here. Hour two of this Arizona Sports Saturday. That's why I said, when he said the weather outside is frightful, and I said not here. Good thing, too, because they're going to have the roof open at the Cardinals oh game gosh. tomorrow. How do for we feel about a, for that? For an 8 p.m. game, they're going to have the roof open tomorrow. I don't get it. We've got a bomb cyclone going on here, people. <laughs> well, not here, but <laughs> everywhere else in the country but here. So that's the biggest news regarding the Cardinals today is that the roof's going to be open. So whoop de do there. That might be the uh, biggest headline coming out of this game. It might be the only headline coming out of this game because I don't know what to expect from Tampa at this point. They're going to be a under 500 team that wins a terrible division going to the postseason. Like, ugh. This is gross. 
Um, I'm stalling momentarily so I can pull up the injury report. I've got it now. Uh, it's pretty long. <laughs> <laughs> like they have been. I lately. could read the full thing or I could just read the game statuses. I'm going to opt to just choose the game statuses. Out for this game. Zach Allen, we knew about that. Colt McCoy, we knew about that. And Byron Murphy is out. Yeah. I don't think we knew about that at the beginning of the week. They were hopeful, but now he's out again. And he, at this rate, might not play again this year, dealing with a back issue. Questionable. Kelvin Beecham, Antonio Hamilton, Marquise Brown, Max Garcia, and Charles Washington. The one that annoys me the most, the most I should say, about this one is Marquise Brown. Because he went from a full participant in a walkthrough Wednesday to limited Thursday because of a groin issue. And it's like, heaven forbid, if we can't help out our third-string quarterback anymore, let's make sure none of his receivers are healthy as well. I mean, listen, is he going to have time to throw the football anyway? Good point. Your offensive line is on double-digit combinations they've had this season for their O-line. There's not a lot that makes me feel good about this game. First of all, you start with the quarterback scenario. Uh, I somewhat jokingly asked our Cardinals insider, Tyler Drake, last week on the show, what's the backup plan if Colt McCoy gets hurt? Little did I realize I was speaking that into existence. Nice job. certainly didn't mean to. Um, but we kind of had a good chuckle over that, right? That, like, well, if Colt goes down, then it's really pretty much over. If it wasn't already, and it kind of was already. And here we are a week later, and we're relying on Trace McSorley. Uh, and behind him, David Blau will be elevated. David Blau. For this game. the uh, He played for the Lions. The Hard right? Knocks darling in the uh, preseason on Hard Knocks, yes. His wife is a, uh Olympic uh, track star. I believe. No, can she catch not a for football? The U- not for the U.S. I can't remember what country, but she competed in the 2021 games. I if she that was can really catch, cool. we should put her on the field. <laughs> Hollywood Brown's questionable. She, she might do better than any of the receivers that they have. But in reality, and we tease this as like, there's three games left. What do we have to look forward to? Yeah. I don't know. You don't have any pivotal starters that are playing in any of these games that need to, per se, prove anything for next year. And the only one that I'm really concerned about at this point is J.J. Watt, because he's on the final year of his deal. He had a three-sack game last week. Wrapping up the bonuses on his way out the door is what it feels like. I don't think he's coming back next year at this rate. You know, I was talking with some guys here in the newsroom this week about uh, Zach Allen, a player that you know I've been harping on all season long. I think he's had a great year. Mm -hmm. He's kind of evolved into a a mini J.J. Watt, and I don't mean smaller, certainly. I mean just like, you know, not as established. Zach Allen's a free agent. Yep. That's a player that you're either going to have to shell out some money for to keep him around, uh, or you let him go and you roll with whatever's behind him, which uh, at this point I don't really know what that is. Well, I can tell you what's behind them. It's whoever they're going to be drafting, whatever pick they have. He's out this week. Here's an interesting thing. If Zach Allen doesn't play this week, maybe the next Maybe the rest of the season. I'm, I'm not saying he will or won't. I'm just I wonder saying, if it'll come up as an excuse to not re-sign him? Uh, no, not, not the point I was going for. Okay. The point I was going for is it doesn't give him any chance to increase his stats that you might be making some money off of in the offseason. That's true. I mean, if he were playing in this game and went out and had four sacks, does that encourage another team in the offseason to overspend to get him? Whereas maybe he's more attainable for the Cardinals. I don't want any player to be injured and not play. Don't get me wrong. I wish I, I'm his biggest fan. I wish he was out there this weekend. I love his little sack dance, but he doesn't do it anymore. I would love to see Zach Allen sack Tom Brady. That would be like the greatest Christmas present ever. That'd be awesome. It's not going to happen. He's out. 
I'm just saying, is there a silver lining here where one of the Cardinals' best up-and-coming players might not have quite the opportunity that he should to get as many sacks as he can to then up his payday? So how about this? Imagine a world next year where you don't re-sign J.J. Watt and you don't re-sign Zach Allen. Ugh. You've lost both of your best edge linemen. From a line that doesn't have a lot to begin with. And you're going to be left with your best edge rusher being Marcus Golden, who has, I believe, one sack this year. One. Now, the reason why I bring up your backup plan is probably going to end up in the draft. Where the Cardinals are at right now, they're probably going to get a top five pick. And there is an absurdly talented edge rusher coming out of Alabama by the name of Will Anderson Jr. You familiar with Will Anderson Jr., Steve? Uh, A little bit. He's... He's an awesome outside linebacker. He's I know absurd. that. He's absurd. But I worry that he's going to be the excuse as to why the Cardinals don't spend the money to bring back guys like J.J. Watt or guys like Zach Allen. Because they're like, oh, this Will Anderson guy, and we're actually in good position, and we might be able to draft him. Why don't we just take him? Save the money there. Because we've got to pay DeAndre Hopkins. We've got to pay Kyler Murray. We've got to pay Zach Ertz. We've got to pay James Conner. We're eventually going to have to pay Marquise Hollywood Brown. We're eventually going to have to pay Byron Murphy. We have to pay Buda Baker. We have to pay Jalen Thompson. Like You look around, and they're already hamstringing themselves heading into the offseason. And that sucks. Because J.J. Watt is awesome to have on this team. Zach Allen is awesome to have on this team. I'm not saying not having... I'm not saying... Having Will Anderson will not be awesome. It would be great. But I don't want it to be the excuse as to why you don't prioritize bringing guys like J.J. Watt and Zach Allen back. Can you also justify drafting a linebacker in the first round three years in a row? With a miserable offensive line? Or, sorry, I, well, situation in the first round last year? Zayvon Collins. That was Zayvon? Yep. Okay. So, yeah, three straight first-round linebackers? No, this that is his second season, isn't it? Yes, but they didn't have a first-rounder this year. Oh, okay, yeah, the Marquise Brown trade. That's what it was. Okay, so the last three players you drafted in the first round would be linebackers. Granted, two of them are inside. One of them is more of an edge rusher. But still, I mean, that's a lot of capital to be investing. And who's making that pick? Is it Steve Kime? We don't know that answer yet. If you're J.J. Watt, I want to go to that for a second. If you're him and you're making a decision in free agency this offseason, you have a couple of things you need to weigh here. Because part of the reason he came to Arizona to begin with was because it appeared that the Cardinals were on the verge of becoming competitive. They had just finished an 8-8 eight and eight season, right? And then, of course, they went on a 7-0 and run, got all the way up to 10-2, and but then they finished 11-6. They were undefeated when he played last year until the playoff game. Right. And so you look at that and you say it's a pretty great fit. He's obviously one of the biggest team leaders. I mean, aside from J.J. Watt and Buda Baker, I mean, there's not a ton of other great leaders on this team. Those are the top two. Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz is a good one, yeah. But he's out now also, too, so he's injured. I I understand he can still be a leader while injured. Right. But if you're J.J. Watt at this point in your career, what are you trying to accomplish? Does he want to try to do the same thing he did with Arizona and go to a team he thinks can be a contender and will pay him a decent amount of money? Because that's what the Cardinals did. Or do you stay in Arizona? Maybe you get a little bit lower of a contract than you're expecting elsewhere, but you stay in Arizona just for the continuity. He just had a uh, his first child mm-hmm. here in Arizona. He and his wife are getting accustomed to Arizona. They've been here two years almost now. But does he look at the situation of this season as a reason as to why he doesn't want to be here anymore? But, as a lot of players do, you remain living in this nice weather, temperature, climate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's a great place to be. And then so you like can just raise a kid. And then you can just work wherever. Yeah. Like, what if the Rams come calling next year, for example? 
You going to take the Rams offer? I mean, it's in L.A. Your excuse would be, well, we still have Sean McVay. Like well, we still won a live. Super Bowl two years ago. We're hamstrung talent-wise, money-wise, but we're the Rams. We'll spend the money. What if Kansas City comes calling? What if Kansas City says, hey, you know us, got Patrick Mahomes. we got an offense that's going to back up your defense, and you're going to make our defense elite. Are you really going to say no? All I know is a lot of the stuff the Cardinals are going through now is comparable, not the same, but comparable to the stuff that the Texans were going through when J.J. Watt jumped ship. And you can't imagine that he wants to remain for that again. And remember, they could have traded him, and they gave him the opportunity to seek a new destination in free agency. Mm -hmm. So uh, the J.J. Watt thing is fascinating to me because I think he likes it here. I think he likes it here a lot. I don't know that he's happy at all with the product on the field. Or how how the, can you be happy with this product? I'm sorry. No, you couldn't be. Exactly. And you shouldn't be. But what I'm saying is, like, those are the types of things that usually guys consider when they leave town. Like, we're 4-11 and 11 right now. I'm leaving town. But at this point, I, I don't know. I, I have no idea what that defensive line looks like next year. Now, I've heard Gambo talking a lot about, you got to play the young guys, you got to see what you got. Cam Thomas and uh, MyJ Sanders and all that. I totally agree. And we're going to see more of them this week because Zach Allen is injured. I sure as hell hope so. I, I expect to see a lot more of them. I don't want any excuses of like, oh, they weren't good enough, snap count, blah, 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 missed assignments. The hell else do you have to play for? You have four wins. You're not making the playoffs. Like, play the kids. Figure out what you got. And if you don't, that'll be the massive failure of this season. I just, I'm all on board with the kids. But I think you need to have some adults in the room, too. You know what I mean? Like, at least one of Zach well, Allen or J.J. Watt Clearly, needs to be there here. were no adults in the room this year. Yeah, not a lot Otherwise, of they would have done a lot better. A lot of kids running around screaming, like chickens with their heads cut off. Coming up next, the Diamondbacks just traded, arguably, their best offensive player, and maybe even defensive player. One of us likes that trade. One of us despises this trade. We'll walk you through our opinions next on Arizona Sports Saturday. And Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Listen, usually when you trade your best player, it doesn't matter what sport, baseball, basketball, football, hockey, water polo, I'm sure. You trade your best player, it it, it hurts. It hurts a lot. It pisses off a lot of Saturday sports show hosts coming in hot. That's Mitch Varelis, by the way. Who would that be? I don't know. (laughs) I think we're about to find out, Trev. The Arizona Diamondbacks yesterday (laughs) traded Dalton Varsho, arguably their best player. He and Christian Walker had pretty comparable offensive seasons, and Varsho is really good defensively. So is Walker, by the way, but at first base. I want to slightly amend your statement just for the sake of protecting Zach Gallen, who I think was arguably the Diamondbacks' best player last year. Best offensive player. Yeah. He was the best man in the lineup. Yeah, he was the best man in the field. He was the best man when he was behind home plate. Even Zach Gallon was the best player on the Diamondbacks last year. Fair but enough. Varsho, I would agree, is the best offensive player this team had last year. Certainly versatile, young player, just really starting to figure out what he was going to become in the major leagues. So they traded Dalton Varsho to the Toronto Blue Jays, who certainly needed left. Who look really, really good now? Not going to uh, lie. They, well, they were already pretty good. And they get back Lourdes Gurriel, a corner outfielder with some infield experience who hit 291 last season on base in the 340 to 350 range. And Gabriel Moreno, who is one of the top prospects in baseball over the last couple of years, a catcher who's very good offensively. And as Mitch mentioned earlier, maybe the 
only better catcher than him, prospect-wise, was Francisco Mejia. Uh, not Mejia, sorry. Francisco Alvarez, right? Yeah, that's my bad. Francisco Mejia was the other top prospect catcher who kind of flamed out. I knew Which you were is talking kind about, of though. my big fear. Well, Not okay. going to lie. Fair enough. Walk me through what you're so concerned about. Okay. So I want to clarify one thing, because a buddy of mine reached out to me on Twitter yesterday when the trade went down, and he said Diamondbacks won the trade. Okay. And I wanted to clarify. I was upset with the trade. I was not going to declare a winner or a loser. I will amend and say, however, I would love to be proven wrong that the Diamondbacks are not foolish for trading away their best offensive player, right? And maybe their best defensive player, quite frankly. This dude was playing catcher in spring training. And he was a finalist for right field gold glove and catcher gold glove. Uh, How good right of, field and utility. My bad. How good of a defender do you got to be to do that? Very freaking At good. At least versatile in defensive ability. So, like, here's my frustration and my fear. We talked about this the last time with the shift banning. I don't like the idea of crippling yourself based off of what side of the plate a guy hits from. If a guy is as good as he is, he can manage whatever pitcher he's facing, right? I'd have to believe that Dalton Varsho should be seen as one of those guys that can do really well against both sides. Maybe the splits from last year say a different story, but like we talked about already, a 234 average is nothing to gawk at, but it's most certainly going to change given the rule change this upcoming season. See, I, I disagree with you on the shift banning. I, I don't think that everyone's batting averages are going to bump up 30 points or whatever because somebody's not allowed to shift to the other side of second base. I, I just don't buy that. Will it have an impact? Yeah, I think it will, and I think the game will change a bit. Um, but here's where I'm coming from. You just traded a guy who hit 234 on base 308 last season. For a guy who hit 291 on base in the 340 to 350 range, and a catcher who... Small sample size, hit 300 in the major leagues. Can last I ask year. you real quick to cut you off? How many games did Gurriel play last year? 121 games. How many games did Varsho play last year, if you happen to have that in front of you? I don't, but okay, I can I'll look stall, it up for you. I'll stall you. for you. Because the other argument I have is while Gurriel's a good hitter, he's probably just going to end up being an everyday DH. Varsho played a great... in 151 games. So a 30 game difference between those two. Yeah. And I'm not saying. I'm not saying 30 games is going to significantly drop what is already a high batting average out of Lourdes Scurriel Jr. But you got more out of Dalton Varsho this past season than you did out of Lourdes Scurriel this past season. And a big part of that is because he, he kind of lost his job, quite frankly. And then Toronto went even a step further, and they added Kevin Kermar this offseason before even making the trade for Gurriel almost assuredly confirming that he was not going to be a part of their future. Yeah, Gurriel is a very different type of player, by the way. He's 28. He's got one year left of control uh, on his contract, so you get him through the 2023 season. He only had five home runs last year in 453 at-bats, so almost 500 plate appearances. So the pop just really wasn't there. He's got a couple of 20 home run seasons, but he doesn't have the power Varsho does. There's no doubt about that. He's more of a contact guy. Um, But still... Much more consistent at the plate. His batting averages over his career have added up to 285. He's kind of a David Peralta in that way. He's going to be a 280 to 300 hitter. He might not hit for a ton of pop, but he he's going to get, get on base. Uh, I mean, that's up to the rest of the lineup. But then you look at Gabriel but it Moreno. Would be, you know who would be nice to have behind uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr.? Dalton Varsho. Dalton Varsho. Yeah, but the thing is, you get one or the other. I know. That's how these things work. And I, I, 
let me put, let me be succinct then. I'd rather have Dalton Varsho. I'm not saying like, oh, the Diamondbacks lost this trade. I'm just saying I would rather have Dalton Varsho this season and I, moving forward. I think the Diamondbacks looked at it like this. You have a surplus of two things. You had a surplus of guys who were hitting 230 with about 30 home runs. Christian Walker and Dalton Varsho are both those guys. Uh, both that same guy, basically, statistically. Mm-hmm. And they had a surplus of left-handed hitting outfielders. They had four of them. Corbin Carroll, Alec Thomas, Jake McCarthy, and Dalton Varsho. All pretty darn good, too. You and I have both agreed all along. We would have rather moved Alec Thomas or Jake McCarthy than moving Dalton Varsho. But the thing is, they couldn't get the same value in return in a trade for either of those players. Alec Thomas fell off offensively at the end of last year. Granted, they sent him down to AAA and he raked. So I expect that maybe he can come back from that. Uh, McCarthy has some upside, certainly as a first-round pick formally, but I don't think that they could have gotten as much for him because he's not as established as Varsho. Plus, Varsho, you add in the fact that he was nominated for two gold gloves last season, didn't win either, either of them, I don't think, but at the same time, I don't think they could have gotten this deal for anybody else. Isn't this situation completely ironic, though? Because the Diamondbacks clearly made this move for Moreno and not so much for Gurriel. Gurriel helps in the immediate, but Gurriel is not the reason that you made this trade. It's very clearly Gabriel Moreno. Dalton Varsho used to be a catcher. Like, am am I mad? I get it. He's an amazing defensive outfielder, but there's so much irony in this deal. Oh my goodness, we're weak at catcher. So let's trade a guy who used to play catcher, who's now an amazing outfielder and a good hitter, for a catching prospect. I also argue, I don't think you need to try so hard to get a really good catcher. Sometimes you just luck into it, okay? Carson Kelly, when they traded for him, a top prospect catcher who was trapped behind Yadier Molina. A one in a million get, if you can get him. I get it. He didn't have a great season. He wasn't healthy all the time, and the catchers behind him weren't amazing. But how much pressure do you need to put on having a successful catcher if you have four really, really, really talented young outfielders? I think you could also look at it this way with Varsho. You had an up-and-coming catcher, was never really a big-name prospect catcher, in my opinion. He was never in that same category as Moreno or like a Joey Bart or Alvarez or any of those guys who were like good catching prospects, right? right? Varsho was never that. And you took that guy, a below-average defensive catcher with some speed and a decent bat, and you threw him in the outfield, a position he hadn't played, and he became a Gold Glove nominee, a speedster, who's in the top, I think, 69th percentile of uh, sprint speed in the league. He's fast. He's and the fast. bases are getting bigger next year, too. And he hit 27 home runs in a season. And you flipped him for Lourdes Gurriel, who hits almost 290 for his career, and one of the top catching prospects in baseball. You could look at it that way. It took you two years, but you flipped a below-average catching prospect for the top catching prospect in baseball and a guy who hits 290 in the major leagues over the last five years. I just don't like banking the idea on, oh my goodness, he's a top prospect, we have to get him. In reality, top prospects very rarely turn out to what they're supposed to be. There's the obvious exceptions, like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was the top prospect for a long time. Wander Franco, I'm very curious about. Wasn't healthy all that much of last year, but he was the number one prospect for a long time. Is Bobby Wood Jr. going to be that guy for Kansas City? Hell, is Francisco Alvarez going to be that guy for the Mets? Like, they just traded away James McCann. They're very clearly clearing the runway for Alvarez. But it never, 
is guaranteed to work out. I'm trying to think. Who was the last Diamondbacks prospect that was like, oh my goodness, outside of Corbin Carroll, who was the last major Diamondbacks prospect that you were like, holy crap, this guy can't miss. He's going to be amazing when he gets here. I'm pretty sure it was Max Scherzer. I could name a more recent one. Okay, hit me. Dansby Swanson. Didn't even make it to the big leagues before they moved off of him. Didn't even make it to the next calendar year before they moved him. I don't even think they made it to AAA before they moved him. No. God, no. No. I think he played, got hurt, and then they traded him. So granted, that's a different regime, so we're not going to blame Mike Hazen for that. Yeah, I mean, listen. But (laughs) my argument is, is that you cannot always just bank on the young guys to make up for it. One point sooner or later, you're going to have to be an organization that spends money and wants to show dedication to their players. The Diamondbacks just haven't had a lot of that caliber of prospect to begin with. Corbin Carroll is certainly one of those top two or three prospect in baseball last year. He's going to be in the majors this year. Uh, Gabriel Moreno is now that caliber of prospect. Uh, Jordan Lawler is a shortstop who is maybe five months in the minors, and then maybe he gets a call up in September. Uh, he might get to play a little bit sooner than that. Jordan Lawler is that level of prospect. Andrew Jones is kid. Drew Jones is that level of prospect. He's certainly a couple of years away. Ooh, I've got another one for you now that I'm thinking about it. Okay. Archie Bradley was a top three prospect at one point. Sure was. What the hell happened to him? Got hit in the face. <laughs> I'm, I'm dead serious. <laughs> he got hit in the face. He came back from the injury, and he wasn't the same as a starting pitcher. So Alberto they threw him in the Calla- bullpen, and he was pretty good there. Alberto Callaspo? No, not the same. Not the same. How about Kareem Garcia? No. That resulted in Gonzo, so I guess that one is... Not the same. A win-win. How about this one? Christian Robinson. Remember him? Uh, yeah, Christian Robinson was a big Diamondbacks prospect at a time when none of their prospects were really that great in the grand scheme of the league. Oh, how about Jared Parker? Remember him? Yeah, I do remember Jared Traded Parker. him away to, him to Oakland. Yeah. He didn't pan out. Yeah. I don't remember if he was like a top 10 type prospect, but yeah. Again, the emphasis and argument that I'm creating here is we cannot just bank on the idea that these prospects are going to work out. Well, listen, I'm, we're Travis talking- Lee was a top two prospect. <laughs> what has he done? What did he do? Wasn't Travis Lee, didn't he have the, uh, or was it Lee Stevens? I can't remember which, I always get them confused, but the one of them was the first Diamondback to score in a, oh, in a wow. D-backs uniform. Sergio Santos? Chris Owings? Sergio Santos. Chris Owings was not a big name prospect. These are top prospects that have been in the no. Max organization. I'm just no. putting it out there. Not great. Anthony Bonda was one of their top prospects at one point oh. in time. Carlos Gonzalez! Uh, yeah, that was a big one. They messed that one up for sure. Um, keep in mind, I know he's a, technically a prospect. I'm throwing air quotes around this. But Gabriel Moreno hit 319 in 25 games last season in the majors. And in the minors, 310, 365 on base. This is a catcher who can I'm hit. Just, I'm, just Rare. Putting, I'm putting it out there. I don't understand why you would give up on established for the unknown. Look at what's happening with the Mets-Mariners trade. How's Jared Kelnick look now compared to Edwin Diaz? They traded from their surplus of left-handed hitting outfielders, and they filled two massive holes in this roster. A right-handed bat who gets on base consistently and a catcher. I think they filled two holes. I think it's a good trade. Obviously, we have to wait and see if it pans out over time. But October, I think let's it's talk good. again. I'd love to be proven wrong. Okay, I'm with you on that. Coming up next, we're going to wrap up the show. We've got some uh, gift ideas for some of the Valley sports teams. We'll, we'll present those gifts. They're sitting under the tree. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. You're a mean one. 
Esperaldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. You're as cuddly as a cactus, you're as charming. Well, that's not very cuddly or charming. But it makes sense. You're a bad banana. Mitch Veraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass. Final segment here on this Christmas Eve NFL Saturday edition of Arizona Sports Saturday here in the Auction Community Studios. So we wanted to close out with the theme of the holiday for those that celebrate tomorrow. Our own Kevin Zimmerman wrote a piece called Gift Ideas for the Valley's Sports Teams This Christmas. Uh, somewhat self-explanatory. There's basically one gift that he is giving to each team. Steve, on the other hand, wrote his own gifts for I've each team. I've got some gifts as well. I want to see if there any of them are similar to uh, the ones that Kevin's going to give to the Valley Sports teams. Okay. We are going to start with, the. I'm going to go in order of the story. So we're going to go with the Phoenix Suns. And we're reacting in real time. Like, I don't know what any of these are. You don't know what any of these are. We're just reacting in real time. Ready? Right. <clears throat> a Suns. A number two or number three scorer. Let's just read the first paragraph of this one to save ourselves some time. It's not that I'm not buying into Mikel Bridges' development as a pretty darn efficient offensive contributor. He's even looked like a switch flipped in terms of his aggression. Whereas he used to find his shots in the flow of things, he's doing a lot more of shot hunting. So essentially, it sounds like Kevin is looking for something to not necessarily replace Mikel Bridges, but find that piece behind Devin Booker and maybe even behind Chris Paul or DeAndre Ayton. Here's where I'm giving the Suns for the holiday. Okay. Starting caliber power forward. It's what they're looking for in a trade, and if Santa has his pick, I, that's what I'm hoping for for Christmas, is that Jay Crowder gets shipped out in a trade. Maybe there's some draft picks or maybe another player or two that goes into the deal, and you get a starting caliber power forward that could be a great compliment to Cam Johnson when he comes back from it. I have my pick, based off of your pick, Kyle Kuzma. That's the one. That's the idea that's going around right that would now. Be, that, would ju- that would just be perfect. It's not like the Wizards really need him that much. Sorry, I'm distracted for a second. They just cut away to a shot of the upper bowl at the Browns-Saints game. There's two people up there. (laughs) It's very cool. Taysom Hill just pounded his way in. I think it was seven degrees in Cleveland today. Oh, my God. Ugh, It's awful. Gross. So that's for the Suns. Up next is the Arizona Cardinals. Kevin says, actually, let's do yours first. Oh, you want to do mine first? Yeah, let's do yours first this time. John Robinson. The fired general manager oh. of the Tennessee Titans. Okay, uh, interesting. Now, listen, I understand Steve Kime is still a member of this organization. Uh, he's on a health-related leave right now. I'm hoping all the best for him as a person. I do think that this is probably a precursor to him not being a part of the organization moving forward, whether that's by, quote-unquote, firing or, you know, one of those he needs to work on his on his health and, and you know, take care of himself, so we're going to go in another direction. Yes. I just anticipate the, the further along we go with this story, the more I feel like Steve Kime's not going to be here. Here's John Robinson, who was fired mid-year by the Titans. Not for anything that he did wrong, it's just they were going another direction. He's been to the playoffs three years in a row. That's something that I would certainly invite. He's probably the most established established general manager out there right now that's not an up-and-comer. It was kind of a surprise firing, and I think they only have one win since Tennessee. Interesting. Uh, Kevin is in kind of the same vein as you, a leadership class. He says, at this point of the season, there are clearly big-picture items to attend to be on the the scheme red flags, depth problems, and money allocation issues that appear on the horizon. 
Team dealt with three arrests, one PED suspension, and too many injuries this season. Without delving into what you can bucket as controllable versus non-controllable, this team has failed in the area of hiring leaders that at least keep the problems of the fo- to the football field on Sundays. I I can't argue with that. Yeah, for the players, the coaches, it's just like a class management. Of, everybody does he, does he mean like a leadership class as in like a new group, or does he mean like uh, something you would take at the Y? Uh, I think it's more like a uh, or the rec center, like a corporate training. That's how I view it. Mm. Like everybody in the organization needs to take a, 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 a like a train a mandatory training on how to be a leader. I totally agree with him on. I'd that be one. okay with that. Uh, Diamondbacks is up next. Okay, here's what I'm giving the Diamondbacks for Christmas. Okay. One more starting pitcher who can go six innings. I feel like they're like... <laughs> Specifically six innings. <laughs> yeah, well, somebody who can go six innings. <laughs> Listen, I, I think it's a good start with Zach Gallon and Merrill Kelly. I don't feel really good about Madison Bumgarner being your three. I'd Not feel anymore. better if he was your four or certainly your five. Um, one more really good starting pitcher you could throw into that mix would make me feel a lot better. But there's other areas of need in this team as well. I mean, the bullpen would be certainly... Pretty high up there as well. How do you feel about Umberto Castellanos? Didn't get to play a whole lot last year. Had some decent outings. I don't have many thoughts. I don't. I don't. I don't. Okay. I'm not investing too much in Castellanos. Okay. Kevin said a gift card to spend on power in the pen. Yeah. There you go. Bullpen. It's clear what the Diamondbacks put on their Christmas list this year. Diamondbacks are second to last in average fastball velocity out of the pen last season and last in 2021. They've already made additions like Miguel Castro and Scott McGuff to join a returning crew that includes potential closing option Mark Melanson and ground ball pitcher Joe Mantiply. He goes on, but it is very clear that they're starting to try and tick up the velocity a bit. And with that, maybe Dre Jamison can kind of step into his own and really, really be that fastball starting pitcher that the Diamondbacks have lacked for a few years. Do you have ASU football? Yeah, ASU football. I'm giving them cash. Lots of cash because that's how college football is played now. NIL, baby. Yeah, if you want to have a good football team in college, uh, then you're going to need to pay for it. It's basically unrestricted free agency all the time in college football now. You want to have a good quarterback? Great. That's going to cost you a million dollars. You want to have a really great pass rusher? Awesome. That'll be 500 k please. This is how college football works now. So you're going to need some cash from grandma. She's going to need a blank check to give ASU for Christmas. The expression check. Check, please. Nowadays, it feels so outdated. But I anyway, know. I haven't written a check in years. Uh, Kevin is kind of in the same line as you. A transfer boost, he says. Uh, former Notre Dame quarterback Drew Pine and BYU transfer Jacob Conover are the Sun De- are among the Sun Devils picked up via the portal. There are 15, parentheses, three exclamation points, close parentheses, as this is written on Thursday. That makes for the 14th ranked transfer class per 24-7 sports, and a lot of that has to do with the volume. Volume means volume at least means there's a better chance of hitting on a few guys. It'd help if one of those successful transfers were a starting quarterback. And I think the hint there would be if Drew Pine or Jacob Conover can prove that they are the valuable transfers that they were thought to be when they were brought in. I mean... Look, I'm just excited at the idea of Drew Pine, who is coming from Notre Dame of all places. Everybody is iffy on his actual numbers and how the actual play style went, but like he still won eight games at Notre Dame. That's not easy to do. Do you have one for the Coyotes? Yeah. Hit me. Earplugs. Oh. If you're oh, going to build an oh. arena directly under the flight path to the runway at uh, Sky Harbor, you're going to need earplugs. Yeah, probably. I think that there's going to be a lot of planes flying over like 200 feet over the arena. You know what I mean? Yes. Earplugs. K 
Kevin said a more, uh, I was going to say tangible, but that seems kind of rude because your idea is tangible as yeah, well. Yeah, mine's real. A lucky ping pong ball bounce. Yeah, they could use that. They to, never get that. To put it on the basics, it's like, it's very clear that this team has never been able to successfully get where they want to be in the draft. Maybe that'll happen this year. I don't know. Remember the McDavid Eichel draft where they had the Ugh. number one odds and they ended up getting Do you remember the who they took? overall pick? Dylan uh, Strome, baby. Yeah. What's he up to now? I don't know. Exactly. Good question. And then last, last he has a couple more. Uh, ASU men's hoops, he said shooting glasses, which uh, probably has a lot to do with the recent loss to San Francisco. Oh, I like my idea better. I said a hoop with a bigger circumference. Oh, my gosh. So the ball will go in easier. I, it, I think the mantra is the same, or the idea is the same between you two. Can but, I throw one out? Sure. Hit one me. last one for the Phoenix Mercury. Christmas came early this year. Brittany Griner is home from Absolutely. the Russian prison. Absolutely. I don't think I could give them anything better than that. And I'm not just talking about the basketball player. And she might be able to give them a big boost. They were kind of iffy last year. A lot of tenuous strife. Just the, the stress relief of having her back, I think, let alone. It, that that should be enough for everybody to be satisfied. 100%. For hey, we sure hope that you have a great holiday season. Thank you so much for spending part of your Christmas Eve here with us. For Mitch Vereldis, for Trevor Henry behind the glass, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to Arizona Sports Saturday here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy holidays, everybody.